What's up, everybody? Uh, JB here. We wanted to re-release this interview that EJ and I did with Brad Spielberger of PFF back in the middle of December. It was the first Vikings game, and you know the Bears season looked like it was going to be over, and we decided to bring Brad on to talk about potential GM candidate replacements for Ryan Pace. We had projected that Ryan Pace was going to be let go. We found out on Monday, Black Monday, that indeed Ryan Pace was fired along with Matt Nagy. And so things are going to change around Hallis Hall and there's going to be new people making decisions. We got out in front of that back in December. If you missed that or if you want to re-listen uh, to what Brad had to say about potential GM candidates, I think that's going to be a useful exercise to get you primed up and ready to go for where the Bears are going to be searching for their next GM candidate. So take a listen. Um, we cut out the stuff before and the, the stuff after. So you're just hearing the uh, interview with Brad. I speak first and then Brad picks up. So uh, enjoy and we'll see you soon. And we're bringing on the guy that we think has the best information and how to kind of think about these GMs because that's not something that I have a lot of knowledge about. It's not something that EJ necessarily has dug into much either. And so when you're thinking about a general manager for a professional football team in the year 2021 and 2022 and beyond, I want to ask, I want to start off, Brad, with the question, what characteristics should the Chicago Bears be looking for in a general manager? Well, it's funny you mentioned, you know, that you maybe don't have the strongest knowledge base on this area of football. And even though it's part of my job to have it, I still don't really either because by design, you know, it's it's very hard to find out what every guy is doing, what can be attributed to the general manager versus some of the guys he works with, things of that nature. And so for that reason, I think at the highest level, this person needs to be a leader in the company and treat it like a normal company. This man needs to be able to, a man or a woman, needs to be able to listen to a lot of different people, glean information from different areas and and hear things he disagrees with and have diversity of thought around him and not surround himself with yes men. And really, you know, you're not going to find edges if you're not exploring every cavern there is. And I think we'll get to, you know, a little bit of why we don't necessarily think Ryan Patience stick around, but you can't be just good at a couple things. You need to be pretty good at a lot of different things. And if not, you need to surround yourself with people that you listen to and trust that cover up your blind spots. Yeah. I, I think that one of the things that we hear about with Ryan Pace is like, well, he's a pretty good drafter. Right. And then anybody says that to me, I immediately come back with, okay, but how does he value his picks? If you're so such a good drafter, you'd want more of them, right? You'd want to be able to take more bites at the apple. But Let's just talk about Pace in general. And, you know, he's been on the job for a while. Um, what do you think led to – what were the biggest shortfalls that Ryan Pace had in his first stint as general manager? What do you? Why do you believe he failed in Chicago? I mean, I think the thing you just said there is, is definitely the top of the list to where, yes, you want someone who can evaluate talent well, which I will give him credit. He can do that. But you don't just blindly in a vacuum acquire talent. The, the cost of that talent matters a lot. And – one of the biggest pitfalls of him, both in the draft and in free agency, is they would get totally dead set on a player and they would not have a cost or a value in mind and just be willing to do whatever it took to add that player to their roster. And yeah, there's some hits and, and sometimes it worked out. But over the long haul, if you're continuing to overspend on players and not really take that into consideration, that's when you get in a situation where you have... I believe the second oldest roster in the NFL um, and a lot of bloated contracts to players that probably aren't even going to be playing next year, but will be owed a lot of 
cap space and or cash. Um, and the other thing, too, though, is, is as Gary Fenchick, the former bear, said in, in an interview today, he does, like I mentioned, he he's a, he's in a silo. He does not seem like a person that wants to listen to outside voices, different opinions. And yes, I'm from PFF, so people probably think I'm just talking about analytics. But there's so much more than that. There are so many different areas you can explore and ways you can uncover talent or just do di- things differently to find edges. And, and the Bears forever have just not been a club, as, as Fenchik again said, that that talks to former players or talks to, you know, other personnel people or even, you know, people outside of football, draft analysts, whoever, to just learn from and just hear ideas from. And even hearing a bad idea that you know is a bad idea still can maybe get the juices flowing and get you thinking. And so I think it's just tunnel vision in, in really everything. Yeah, and, and Brad's referring to an article that came out in the Trib today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, had some really great quotes, a lot of anonymous quotes, so that they were able to get a lot of candor. And then there was some good stuff uh, from the former hitman, uh, the, uh, former safety of the 85 Chicago Bears, Gary Fensick. So what's – and there's some really good stuff in there. You should read it. It's a really good deep dive, and you know it really is kind of exposing a lot of the stuff that we have – been thinking is happening uh, through the years. But I think in general with Ryan Pace, when I think about him is that that word conviction. I mean, he talks about building culture. Everybody talks about building culture. But one of the things that he he seemed to be really convinced was a a great attribute was this word conviction. And it used to just be like nails on a chalkboard to me because to me, it's like, well, that's like the opposite of what I think someone – like a like a Bill Belichick or something with what how they would approach the draft where there's like well I'm not confident enough in myself to know that I'm going to get it right every time so I want more of these picks because I would like to get two three of these guys in here and I have a pretty good confidence that one of those guys will shake out but I don't feel confident enough in myself that I know the one guy who's definitely going to come in and he's going to he's going to perform well and so you know to me that is something that I'm hoping to find with one of these candidates that we're going to talk about here in a minute. EJ, do you have any like general Ryan Pace thoughts before we dive into who might be the next boss of the Bears? Yeah, he started out very strongly, I think, in Chicago. He brought um, things that the former GM didn't, which is always nice, talking about some balance. Um, It was a new message and hopefully a new approach. He came from a program that was pretty successful and has continued to be successful, although you can argue they do it in a uh, somewhat non-orthodox way in terms of cap space. But what he was able to bring early and the excitement that he was able to bring hasn't lasted and the message hasn't changed. There's been a rigidity to... This is the way that we do it. This is the way that I do it. Even though it seems like I have lost some effectiveness down the stretch, I'm not going to, again, reach out, talk to other sources, modify my approach, realize that the league is changing Um, around me. I'm going to continue to have conviction. I'm going to continue to trade up. I'm going to continue to bundle picks and the sort of sinking of Ryan Pace's regime over the last couple of years has been the bad work in free agency, the bidding against yourself, um, paying far more than he needed to. He could have had Dalton for a couple of million dollars, 
per year, maybe four million per year for two years. The year before, ends up waiting a year, signing Foles, extending him, and then the very next year giving Andy Dalton ten million for one. Like that in itself is a microcosm of whoops, didn't play that right. You know, didn't read the room, bid against yourself in the first one, ended up with basically the same product for almost three times as much money just not great. And you combine that with not being able to refill the roster. Again, you could have flexed more strongly into the UDFA market. Didn't choose to do that. Hasn't typically done that. Just says, nope, don't need them. And what you end up with is an old roster, a limited number of picks, a really limited number of limited cap space. People talk about Chicago's cap space is moving to the next year, but there's like what is it 20 something players signed brad it's it's like 22 players signed and if you look at a potential depth chart of those players like it's not a fieldable team like it's not even close so yeah they have some space but they have way more holes than they're going to be able to fill either with cash or with draft picks and then you're going to have to get creative so it's it's not he's not leaving an empty cupboard, but he's not leaving a sort of fertile field either for whoever comes in. It's going to be a challenge to acquire the players that Chicago needs going forwards to surround Justin Fields with talent and field a playoff caliber team. Yeah, the, the players on the roster for next year, as of right now, they might be able to run the T formation with man in motion. Uh, they have one wide receiver under contract. Uh, eh, that's it's uh, it's not good. You need a few of those guys. So. All right, so I teased that we were going to do this. I didn't mention that we were going to have Brad because I didn't know we were going to have Brad at the time. But I teased on our recap show with with Lester that we were going to have uh, a talk about GMs. And a listener of Baron Balance, thank you very much, checking out that show. Jake, who is at JTR underscore 1994, he tweeted out said, hey, I heard that you're, you're teasing, you're bringing somebody on to talk about GMs. I got a list of guys. So, so Jake, thank you for that. We use that as a, as a way to try to build off of this. Brad knows these guys well. We've got a bunch of names. I kind of want to start off with Rick Smith because that's the guy that most people are talking about now because he's not employed right now. And so I think a lot of people are thinking about bringing him in because they can get him in early. They can get him in the building early and, and conduct a coaching search. So I want to start with Rick Smith. Yeah, so the Rick Smith is very interesting. Um, for folks that don't know, he was in Houston for a long time. Um, gets a lot of credit for kind of you know building that organization from the ground up. Obviously drafted J.J. Watt, Deshaun Watson, Whitney Merciless. You know, I mean, really, really any any draft pick you can think of before kind of the Bill O'Brien era in 2018. It's all Rick Smith. Um, he's interesting for a couple reasons. So he he stepped away from football. He was not fired. He stepped away because unfortunately his wife was sick. Um, and even prior to that, he kind of had this rumor we've been hearing about Ryan Pace potentially getting quote unquote promoted actually happened with him where he became the president of football operations or the VP of football operations and and took on even more responsibility. And so I think the interesting thing with Rick Smith is I can also say this. I know he is still involved around football. I know he does projects and research and is not away from the game. He is still kind of working on some things behind the scenes. Um but yeah, the thing with him is he had so few resources in Houston, and obviously their ownership is, is is not a strong ownership group, that in my mind, if you bring him in and maybe actually fill out a staff beneath him, he could be a phenomenal guy to run the show. 
Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, and and I think a lot of a lot of Bears fans are starting to float his name because they're interested in somebody coming in early and be able to help. Uh, you know, with with the coaching search because you have a, a, a clean house and you want to get in early. And there, but there's probably not going to be a ton of GM jobs open around the league at this point. I mean, we're talking about the Giants, the Bears, and I mean, what else is out there, right? Maybe the Vikings. You think they, they maybe the Vikings and maybe Jacksonville. Jacksonville and okay. oh, and the Raiders. Did you say the Raiders? I didn't, but yeah, sorry. I've kind of I've kind of moved past the Raiders. I figured they're they're all, they're definitely up for for a reboot. So okay, so that's Rick Smith. Very interesting, you know, situation with him, and and you know, hopefully he's ready to dive back in, um, you know, for his sake because he is a good good football guy and, and needs to get back in it. Where do you want to go next? There's a bunch of names here. Champ Kelly maybe is an interesting name to talk about off the top. Yeah, so obviously Champ Kelly is the in-house guy. Um, he is the uh, maybe number two, maybe number three, kind of hard to tell. But, uh, you know, Josh Lucas is there and is kind of the head of the college side. It sounds like Champ Kelly is the head of the pro scouting and, and, and the, you know, the rest of the department. So very interesting guy was in with Denver Broncos during their, you know, their kind of incredible run. I think he was there from 2007 to 2014 off the top of my head. So obviously, you know, was there for the Peyton Manning era and, and all those times. He has a ton of respect around the league. I think when you're a guy in a building that hasn't even really been successful the last couple of years and your name gets brought up constantly, um, it's for a reason. You know, I've heard he's a guy that is kind of no nonsense. He has a, he's a former player. Um, he kind of, I think you won a championship as the GM and coach of a team in like a, like an AAF type league, like a, a thrown together arena league. So he's kind of worked in every capacity. I think he's seen every angle of football. And I think he's a guy that would command a room, get respect from both players and front office personnel alike. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he is an interesting candidate. I, the tough part is I, I know the Bears care a lot about optics and messaging and all of that. And I, I imagine it would be hard to sell this fan base on, you know, promoting someone in-house from a failed regime. But I, I do think he's a legit candidate. Yeah, EJ, any thoughts on on the internal, the idea of bringing in an internal candidate? Uh you know, right behind Ryan Pace? The optics will be difficult. There's no doubt about that. But sort of weighing Champ Kelly on his own merits, he is a guy that gets talked about, and it's kind of like guys that get Pro Bowl votes on teams that have won, you know, four and five games. If if you're still being talked about and your regime is about to be swept out and you're being talked about in generally glowing tones, I hear really good things about Champ Kelly and he's one of the few guys actually around the league that I hear anything about, because again, I'm not super well connected, especially not on the pro, the pro personnel side, his name keeps coming up and that's somewhat amazing given Chicago's recent track record. It might be a tough sell to the fan base, but it's funny. That's the initial thing. That's the bump. And then no matter who you get, I mean, we saw this with urban Meyer, right? Urban Meyer was an easy sell to the Jacksonville fan base. And now less than halfway through the season, look out. They bought the name. They didn't get anything behind it, you know, and the opposite is true too. If Champ Kelly comes in and puts together a good staff, has a good first draft, has a solid first run through free agency, and the Bears are somewhat competitive despite being pretty hamstrung, as we talked about at the top of the show, people are going to love Champ Kelly, right? It's all about the work. The NFL regardless of where it is, is a meritocracy after a while. You can come into glowing reviews, but if your results suck, 
it'll catch up to you and vice versa. If your results are really good, even if nobody'd ever heard of you before you got there, hey, that guy's pretty solid. Yeah. All right, Brad. So we've got a list of names left. I want you to pick your top two names. Talk about them next. Who are the next guys that on your list that you're like, mm, I'd be pretty happy with that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll jump to one. Uh, his name is Will McClay. So probably a name folks haven't heard a ton about. He works for the Dallas Cowboys. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, it is difficult to glean who is doing what. But I'm fairly confident that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones don't know a whole lot about football. Um, the occasional <laughs> times we do get a, a peek behind the curtain, um, you know, some of those videos that come out around draft time and stuff, they don't sound particularly, you know, geniuses around football. And so Will McClay, from my perspective, seems like he's basically been the general manager for the Cowboys for a while now. Um, and if you look at their draft history, I mean, they have consistently been one of the best drafting teams in football for the last, you know, decade, 15 years. Um, you know, they don't spend a ton of free agency. They try to, you know, build for the draft and be homegrown. But nevertheless, I mean, just look at all the all the hits they've had, and, and it's hard not to respect what he's able to do at, as a talent evaluator. Um, so, you know, I think he is a legitimate candidate to consider um, because, you know, I also think I mentioned the owners. Like, he's also had to deal with the personalities and, and, and trying to deal with a, a difficult owner and, and managing that. He's with the Cowboys, who obviously have all the distractions and everything that comes with Dallas. And he seems to just keep his head down, go about his business, get his work done, and be consistently successful in something that you're not supposed to be consistently successful at. Yeah, and he's put a premium on offensive line over the years. So that, that would make me happy. All right, who's your next favorite? Oof. Next favorite, I would probably go with Ed Dodds, who is the assistant GM with the Indianapolis Colts right now. Came over from the Seattle Seahawks, and I think that's probably the biggest point for me is you know we were talking about some of the things you'd like to see in a general manager not always easy uh to find a guy who's been in multiple successful buildings um obviously champ kelly could be you know could be considered one of those but for dodds to go from obviously the, the legion of boom era in seattle and he does get a lot of credit for a lot of the talent evaluation there to now going to indianapolis and i've, I've had the pleasure of, of hanging out with john schneider a little bit he's kind of a laid-back fun guy and then, you know, Chris Ballard seems the opposite, seems like a very serious, very stern person. And so I think just the fact that he's kind of been in two, uh, my guess, two different vibe buildings and, and been successful again, been successful in both where, yes, obviously these teams are not, you know, I haven't won a championship recent years, but consistent 10 win football teams. Um, he apparently, you know, is a bit of a old school football guy, but I think kind of like Ballard, they're both old school football guys, but they're willing to listen to other ideas and explore other areas of, of, you know, potential research and whatnot. So <laughs> he's very intriguing to me as well. Yeah. Ballard's of course the guy that got away, right? Like Ballard's the guy that lost out on the job to Ryan Pace. He had to take a, another year or two before he got the Indianapolis job. Um, so that would be kind of interesting to kind of, you know, all these guys kind of work together. It's not like that's unique, but it's kind of interesting that you kind of have the Chris Ballard line through it. So a uh, number of other names. What about guys like from recently successful programs, probably getting some buzz like like Kansas City? Anybody down there that's interesting? Yeah. So there are two names in Kansas City. Um, Mike Berganzi is the name that I, I think you might hear more. Uh, he, by all accounts, works harder than maybe anyone in that building. Uh, he's known to be a guy who spends, you know, kind of like the sleep in the office type guy. Um, he is pretty young, but he's risen up the ranks. 
I, I think there was a stat that like he's been in Kansas City for about a dozen years now, and he's been promoted like six or seven times in those dozen years, which is not easy to do. You can kind of get stuck sometimes, and upward mobility can be a challenge in the NFL. So, by all accounts, is going to be a general manager at some point. Um, you know, whether that's in the immediate future or not, we don't know. And then Ryan Poles as well is in their player personnel department. He interviewed for some general manager jobs last year. I know he interviewed in Carolina and a couple other spots. I'm not trying to keep saying this and, and you know name dropping, but I also uh, fortunately um, have had a couple conversations with him as well. And really, really bright guy. He kind of blew me away in some of the conversations we had with. He, I, I believe he's a former player, but was picking our brain about analytics and picking our brain about all sorts of different things and. Just a guy that I think would want to have as many smart voices in the room um, and, and just learn in any capacity he can. And, and I also, you know, I think he's a, a relatable guy, a nice guy that, that would get along with anyone. Not to a, you know, not not that he's like a, you know, again, his article, this Wash, this Chicago Tribune article, that it's a little bit too jovial and friendly in the Bears situation right now. I don't, I don't think he's, he's too friendly, but um, just a guy that I think would be able to be a you know the leader of a building um and get along with people and, and be productive with everyone around him. friendly to analytics is music to my ears i'll i'll put my resume in with uh mr poles and see if uh you know he needs he needs a staff but um what about the the nfc counterpart uh in in all this the buccaneers is there anybody in the buccaneer system that maybe is getting a look yeah so this is a name that when last year i was doing some research and reaching out to some contacts i Consistently kept hearing the name John Spitek, uh with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I want to I want to say he's their is their their college scout and the director of college scouting. Um, and I've just heard that. I mean, obviously they've been on this incredible run the last couple of years now of drafting. You know, starting with the kind of the Mike Evans year, they had a couple hits, but in the last couple of years they really ha- have been on a hot streak. And as we always say, and as we know, it is there is some randomness to it. Um, you you do get lucky sometimes, and maybe get unlucky other times, but. He just kept his name kept coming up with folks I spoke to. And obviously now he's been in a building where, you know, Jason Light, their GM, came from the Patriots. So you kind of have a little bit of that in there. I'm not saying you show his, you know, chase the next Patriots guy, but a guy who's had seasoning from different buildings and learned different things. And I think again, as you mentioned, you know, kind of with Champ Kelly, the fact that he was in Tampa when they were struggling for the longest time and his name kept coming up and people kept mentioning him and saying he was one of those next GMs probably says a lot because they were not a you know successful franchise for a very long time. Now that they're winning and obviously won the Super Bowl, that name just kind of keeps getting more and more traction. I mean, Spytech, what a heck of a name. It, so- it sounds like a, you know, an espionage uh, technology firm or something, right? Yeah. We like the openness that Indy brings. We want that in our next GM. Can you can you put in a nod for that, Brad? I love what Indianapolis does in terms of sharing their process, being open, and kind of breaking down that barrier of, hey, super secrecy is not a huge advantage, right? After the fact, we can tell you what we were thinking, and we don't really care if people try and build a profile on what we're going to do because we're pretty confident about our process and the guys you mentioned that have been in different buildings and seen different approaches guys like dodds right ballard and schneider don't do it the same way they both have been successful but schneider is much more he said he's laid back but in terms of draft capital he is about as far an outlier as there is in terms of wheeling and dealing he's done some and I'm just going to use the word magical as an adjective. Like he has done some magical things with turning some high picks into multiple other picks, which to JB's point of multiple bites, the apple is one approach. 
Ballard a little bit more classic and not along the lines of Ryan Pace of, of bundling and moving up, but a little bit more, I would say, straight to the vest, but has still found value doing it that way. And that makes a guy like Dodds or Spytek really interesting to me that they've seen a couple of different buildings, seen a couple of different approaches and can kind of blend those and say, well, I like this and I like what Jason brought from the Patriots, but I wouldn't do this part of it. And the other thing you said, that really got on me is people that are not afraid of as many smart voices in the room as they can get, that they are not territorial. They do not have to be the unquestioned alpha. The good ideas can come from anywhere. You stop the podcast, treat it like a, treat it like any other business or any other organization. And those are the business leaders that I'm attracted to are the people that can take a frontline staffer and have them say, look, I'm really close to the work and this is dumb. Like, here's a better way to do it. And that becomes SOP for the whole company. And you see those changes. You always hear those stories. It takes a lot of courage as a leader, as a CEO, as a division head to be able to say, yeah, I got this from Joe Schmo. He's been with us for six months and it was a really good idea. And to champion that and turn it into something that changes things. So any candidate I would want to see that quality in who is like, look, if there's a good voice, I'm listening to the idea. Doesn't mean I'm automatically going to accept it, but I'm not going to dismiss it because of where it came from. I really like what you said, too, just to jump in real quick, you know, about the insular nature of some clubs and how others like Indy, you know, they love to create these videos where you get to see their draft process. And also Tampa, too. Jason Light tells people a lot of things and is more open in press conferences. I think my perception now is those guys are confident. Not only they're confident in their process and confident that, like, their secrets aren't going to get stolen, but also they recognize they don't have secrets. And that's the <laughs> thing is that if you're so afraid of someone finding out what you're doing, what you're doing might not even be the right thing in five years from now because you need to adapt and change and grow as the league grows. So if you're that tethered to your ideas, it's probably a red flag to begin with. Yeah, I mean, Brad, did you listen to uh, Flying Coach, uh, the podcast series that was hosted by McVeigh over the offseason? Uh, McVeigh and Peter Schrager. And he brings on all these coaches. And, I mean, it maybe isn't, like, granular to the point of, like, you know, we, you know, you move this tight end out one yard to flex here so that he gets more of an – I mean, it wasn't that granular. But there was some stuff that there was flying back and forth between these head coaches. And it was like, wait, I'm, I can listen to this? This is something that I'm this – is, this is free? Like, I get, to, I get to consume this material? And I think that that's where we're moving is, is it's out there anyway. Why not? Why not? Why not present it to your fan base? And, you know, we create content, right? Like we, we create content all the time. It would be nice if we could have a little more access to create even more informed and better content. And if you bring us in, we'll be more informed and we'll be able to to help lead our audience through whatever is happening. Um, but as of this, this regime has been the opposite of that. I mean, it is impossible, you know, new media is not welcome. Um, you know, it, it's all just, uh, you know, BS cliches that are given at press conferences and, you know, they're worthless. And so someone who's more open and honest with your fan bases and, and your, your reporters is more than welcome. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes I like to say, Bears fans, and I'm sure it's every fan base, but we get so caught up and tied in the results and we should focus more on the process, but Absolutely. we have no window into what the process is in Chicago. Right. So I guess it's fair that all we do is focus on results because that's all we know. And if, if we knew and trusted that they had a sound process and we, again, not everything, but 
we knew that they were considering everything and all that, then we would say, hey, look, the results didn't work out. You know, Trubisky didn't work out or X pick didn't work out. But we know that they turned over every leaf and turned over every stone, whatever. I messed that expression up. But, like, we would trust that they did their due diligence, did their homework, and unfortunately it didn't work out. Whereas instead, we're sitting here going, like, did they take Deshaun Watson to dinner? Did they do this? Did they do that? Because we don't know what they're doing. Right, right. And there's reports after the fact we're arguing about it three years later. And the fact is, no, they didn't do enough work. They made it secret. And they got locked into one guy and they traded up. And it's a bad process to trade up one pick to get that. I mean, like, nothing makes sense. And we are forced to, to try to put the pieces together. But we can't even see the whole picture. So it's a hard puzzle to put together. All right, so you've got a few names left on your list. I want you to just kind of run through them speed round, just kind of give us the highlights of why you think they might make a good GM or why not. Yeah, for sure. So still still names that I really do like, so don't don't take it that, you know, because they're getting mentioned later, they're, they're lower on the, the want list. I would say the first one I mentioned is Omar Khan. He right now is the number two in Pittsburgh. It does sound like there's growing buzz in league circles that, Pittsburgh GM Kevin Colbert might retire. Um, he's under contract through this upcoming draft, but then after April of 2022, his contract is over. And so he might continue going or he might not. You know, there's there's a lot of rumors that him and Big Ben might just kind of ride out together. But so nevertheless, if not, Omar Khan started actually at Tulane and then with the Saints for about 20 years. So he actually probably knows Ryan Pace pretty well. Um and he was a cap guy. So he, you know, a little soft spot in my heart. He, he came from the financial background, but also a talent evaluator. He was a player personnel guy at Tulane, then was kind of low totem pole, you know, personnel in New Orleans and worked his way up through the football administration department. Um, the thing there is the New Orleans Saints and the Pittsburgh Steelers could not be run more differently if they tried, right? Like right. the Steelers have traded in the draft. They've made, I think, five trades in this decade. The Saints make five five trades a draft. So, right. you know, very different. And then also the way they spend. I mean, the Steelers do not really spend in free agency. The Saints are willing to go there. The Steelers don't. You know, they added a void year for the first time They're in their history this year. The Saints have been doing that for, you know, a long time. They invented the damn thing. Exactly, right. So, so he's <laughs> seen a lot. He's been around for a long time. Um, they're, you know, I think still in football, most people want your GM to be your top talent evaluator. And I think that's probably why he hasn't gotten a job yet. Um, you know, it sounded like the Houston Texans job was his and, and that sounded like a done deal. And then at the last second, Nick Casario kind of swooped in and took it. And, and that's probably my guess there. But nevertheless, a very good candidate. Someone to keep your eye on is Omar Khan. Next one, unless, unless you have any comments there. No, no, no. Keep going. Yeah. So next one is Joe Hortiz, who is with the Baltimore Ravens. So Joe Hortis is a member of the 2020 club, they call it in Baltimore, which is when he started, he was in his 20s and he was making $20,000 a year. And now he's worked his way up. Um, him and Eric DaCosta, actually, who's the, the Ravens general manager now, they started, I want to say DaCosta came in two years before Hortis. Um, and obviously they've gone through the ranks together. You know, the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, are probably the best run organization in football. That includes the New England Patriots. Um, you know, because I think the Patriots just have kind of a savant and then a lot of people right. around him, whereas Baltimore, I mean, Ozzie Newsom also might be a savant, but they just built a very strong infrastructure. They obviously have a robust analytics department, but also they invest in football administration, they invest in sports science and nutrition, all these various things. So Hortiz, by all accounts, is a, is a just a pure, you know, talent evaluator. So kind of the opposite of Khan, but I think a guy that because of where he is, would say, all right, I'll be Ryan Pace, but I will then trust people around me to, to kind of fill my blind spot. So another another good one there. I just just real quick. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
I would like the Hall of Fame committee to consider having a special vote to add a general manager tag onto Ozzie Newsom's Hall of Fame plaque or Hall of Fame bust. And, and like, I mean, they might have it up there anyway because he served as, hall, as as a general manager, but I want them to vote on it and say he is also a Hall of Fame general manager, right? Like, I mean, George Hallis is, you know, in, in the Hall of Fame for multiple reasons, but like, I just want like a special vote for him to, to be in for, for that reason as well. So, sorry, go continue. No, I, I could not agree more. Uh, he, he deserves it. And, um, and then some other guys, too, if you're going to think about the next step of this whole process, of course, is, all right, who are they going to poach? Um, there are some very interesting names in Baltimore. He can maybe try to bring um, some people with him if he does come. So, so definitely a good name to watch. And this applies, again, to the next guy. So Joe Schoen is the assistant general manager with the Buffalo Bills. Another guy like Mike Berganzi, who's really young, but again, by all accounts, just an absolute workhorse, has worked his way up the ladder. I think the interesting thing in Buffalo is they have a couple guys that, that have interviewed for GM jobs already in the past. Terrence Gray, Lake Dawson. Um, I'm blanking on a couple names, but that is a robust front office where he, if he brings a number two with him, that guy could be interviewing for general manager jobs a couple years later. That's how many kind of smart and respected and trusted people they have there. So I don't know a ton about him, um, but obviously the Bills, you know, since Brandon Bean came over, um, they have been a phenomenally run organization and have done a lot of the you know right things. So I, I think he's a good name there. Dave Ziegler uh, with the New England Patriots. I'm sure he's good at his job. I don't know a ton about what he does because the Patriots are also very insular. And for me, you know, Nick Casario just got hired in Houston. So Ziegler, I mean, I think Bill Belichick's the general manager, frankly, but but Ziegler's only been the number one guy for a year now. And and also I, I think Casario's been been frankly terrible in Houston anyway. So um, you know, not not super high on him, but you know, it's the New England Patriots. They had a last two draft classes now. After years of struggling, they've kind of knocked that out of the park in 2020 and 2021. Um, you know, generally smart and free agency. They've kind of been different th- these past couple of years. I think, you know, first when Tom Brady was leaving, now maybe because Belichick is thinking about hanging him up. Um, they've operated a little bit differently. But obviously, historically, it's been a very well-run organization. The final one, a very interesting name, in my opinion, is Quezzi Adolfo Mensa with the Cleveland Browns. So... Another one of those guys, like their current GM, Andrew Barry, I believe he's Ivy League educated, and he is a football guy, but is also, I think, just just kind of known as like a whiz and a really, really smart guy. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about the Cleveland Browns is, again, that's a team that has invested in their front office to an extreme degree. I mean, Paul DePodesta, their head of you know, their football operations or football strategy or whatever his, his title is, um, came from the Mets uh, in baseball and is just someone – that is, you know, willing to explore different areas again to find edges. The Cleveland Browns. I don't know if you know people know this, but they're one. Of, they're the only team in the NFL that tries to grade players the same way PFF does. Everyone grades their own players. The Cleveland Browns have now tried to build out an infrastructure where they're grading every player in the NFL. Um, they just do so many things that other buildings just have not gotten to yet. Um, you know, and I think Andrew Barry from, came from the Philadelphia Eagles. Now their general manager um, is already one of the best GMs in football, and so I think learning underneath him. Uh, you know, would go a super long way. And again, if Adolfo Mensa leaves, he could recruit some guys that would all be very bright. Um, I know it's crazy. We're talking about the Cleveland Browns here, but some very bright guys that I think could build out a, a great front office. Yeah, they've got a good roster. Yeah, Barry's done one of the most yeoman's jobs in the entire NFL. 
if you look at the Browns roster, we do our offseason previews for bootleg. Last couple of years, we've done them. The Browns roster was pretty much the hands down winner. If you're just grading talent on paper, they were so incredibly deep across every position. You have three running backs that can start, they had three tight ends that can start, they had seven guys in their secondary that could all go to other NFL teams and start. They've got a tremendous defensive line. They've got enough weapons at receiver. The offensive line was the best offensive line in football last year. <laughs> yeah. It's like you didn't even talk about the old line yet. <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere, maybe linebacker, but then they go out in this year's draft and get a Wusu Koromora. Now you're like, well, uh, that was the one spot you were weak at, and you went and got one of the best players as a rookie in the NFL. If there wasn't a Micah Parsons out there, we'd be talking a lot more about JOK. Like Andrew Barry and I like that you say the building or his staff, like it is a robust staff. It is a large staff. It is kind of the opposite of their near neighbor, the Bengals, right? It's they have pushed all the chips into saying, we're going to have as many resources as we can to do this. And the results, again, we're talking about a results-based business. You look at the Browns roster, 95% of the teams in the NFL would take the Browns roster. Like it is so loaded top to bottom. So if a guy like Quessy can come in, bring a couple other people that are like-minded and, you know, want to be aggressive about building that kind of roster with depth in Chicago, like woo freaking who? Yes, please. Yeah. And the thing too is, is in every different way, even looking at the offensive line. So, you know, Jedrick Wills, use a first round pick. Then Tyler Conklin, you spend a decent amount of free agency. Then you take a flyer and trade a fifth and sixth round pick to the Bills for Wyatt Teller. And boom, you have three good players there. And then, you know, like all across the roster, I like the secondary. Again, you have some big ticket guys, some smaller signings, defensive line. You take a one-year flyer on Clowney and a one-year flyer on Tech McKinley, one-year flyer on Malik Jackson, and, and all these guys, they do everything and that's 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 all really all you can ask like we said the process is sound the results right now could be better but you trust that the process is sound and you mentioned they built out a big staff and this is what i don't understand this is the un you know regulated part of football right like you can spend only so much money on players that's the salary cap that's what we obsess over but how you build your front office and how you build your staff out there's no limit to that they're not the NFL doesn't care how much money you spend on a staff and you're making crazy amount of money bring in more smart people bring in more smart people to help you do things to help you run research whatever it is that's the untapped resource there and you know the Chicago Bears have not done that traditionally they have not done that under Ryan Pace and it would be nice to see them put resources into that Maybe they need a different ownership group. I know that exactly half of you listening thought that right when I said it, they're not going to do it with the McCaskies. Okay, maybe that's true. But a GM that pushes for that and, and wants that with, from ownership, maybe that's that's what it takes. So, And that's from our interview with Brad Spielberger back in December. We appreciate Brad coming on. He's been on Bears Over Beers multiple times. We love having Brad on, and it was great to re-listen to that and hear what his thoughts are on some of the better GM candidates out there. So keep that in mind as you hear some of the names floating around here in the next week or so as the Bears try to find their next leader. Until next time, bear down.